Hey guys, welcome to the second portion of our Extra Lore episode for this month, which we will let Beard talk about in just a second. I just wanted to take a quick moment to remind everyone that yes, this is the second portion, so we're going to jump right into the events that lead directly into the Near from the Drakengard series. Drakengard 1 and 3 were discussed in side A, and this is side B, so if you are curious as to where the conversation was that led to the starting point that you're going to hear in just a second that is also over on our either itunes feed or podbean feed uh, whichever one you prefer Uh, but yeah please be sure to listen to that that'll kind of give you a little bit more context than jumping directly into this particular episode so without too much more preamble here is beard to take up on what exactly is going on in the series of near Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the about three o'clock p.m. on six twelve of two thousand three, uh, we actually see uh, what what is dubbed as the incident happens. This is where Queen Beast, Kaim, and Angelus appear. At four p.m., the Japanese government makes a move in order to say we gotta just take these things out by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, while the jets are being scrambled from a close-by base uh, within the same general district that they are in, uh, the Queen Bee suddenly starts to deteriorate. So at this point, they're kind of looking at this thing going, well, what do we do now? But they still see that Angelus is flying up above where they're at. Uh, Where they happen to be at is also very important because it is the Shinjuku district in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this, of course, kind of follows back to the spire uh, within Tokyo and everything. So that's how you get Angelus pierced on top of Tokyo Tower. Uh, Both Kaim and Angelus and the Queen Beast die, but in different methodologies. Again, the Queen Beast kind of just falls apart and flakes apart. uh, And no samples are recoverable of the Queen Beast. Kaim's body is never known about. Nobody figures out that he was there. So by all intents and purposes, he could have decomposed in time over this, uh, in the city. He could have fallen somewhere else. He could have flaked apart. Uh, we don't necessarily know. But Angela's body is recovered and taken to a holding cell where it is then pretty well looked over and researched and so on. You know how scientists are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the basic gist of how most events start to happen. And later on in 2003, in fact, only three months down the line in September, several people contract this very rare disease, which I dub the Internet uh, Early Phase Syndrome. But it's called White Chlorination Syndrome. Wait, 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 wait. Internet what? Internet Early Phase Syndrome. Early Phase. Okay. You'll get here in a a second. It's actually Uh more of a joke. So anyway. Uh White chlorination syndrome actually has it where, over time, uh, people actually break down to salt. Mm-hmm. You get the joke? Yeah, I get it. All okay. the internet saltiness. <laughs> yeah, basically. Gotcha. It, it's, it, it's, my, it, it's my little joke piece that I have because none of this is fun. None of this. <laughs> Absolutely none of this. Yet you love this game so yeah, much. Yet he keeps coming back to it. <laughs> Again, I don't know. He's a bit of a masochist. It's fine. Yeah, Safe I, mm, I <laughs> guess so. Uh, so white chlorination syndrome uh, has a mortality rate of 100%. Uh, 
There are zero means or patterns that are found with the way that uh, this system is uh, effectively breaking people down. Uh, there's no general links to why this is the case. Uh, there are no patterns that show up. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, of course, over time, it only gets worse. Uh, the next does. several, yeah, I'm going to say, because it doesn't generally seem like it uh, stays in one uh, in one spot or dies after only a couple of things. Uh, what is kind of nice about it, though, is that it stays within the Shinjuku district. And that's where, of course, most are kind of like, well, we just had this major incident that also happened, so maybe something else is sort of linked to that. We need to start kind of discovering more of what was going on. So that reaches back to Angelus in terms of, like, picking up research and so on, and then also trying to figure out what this big giant was that was in, the, uh, that was in Shinjuku that broke apart. Uh, and of course, again, no pieces were found of Queen Beast on Hull. Uh, in 2004, however, and Green, you'll like this because it'll actually go in like chronological order from here on, oh, which is yay. great. Yeah, everything, everything's pretty well just like straight on from here. Uh, 2004 is when we start getting cases of white chlorination syndrome, which I'm going to shorten to WCS, by the way, mm -hmm. because white chlorination syndrome is a mouthful. Uh, WCS actually starts to bring its full uh, cases of a different time over. And that's because instead of everybody breaking down into salt, they go berserk. And okay. this berserk attitude is, again, completely like unfathomable. It's, it, it's not like tracked in any way. There's no like adrenaline changes or changes in physiology to the human. Uh, but over time, they seem like their their bodies kind of change as well. Get to that in a second. But mm -hmm. it's not. So salt or berserk. Take your pick in terms of how you'll effectively act or how it is that you kind of handle. The Japanese government uh, basically moves, however, to cut off Shinjuku entirely because cases are getting that widespread and that bad. There are a couple of cases that kind of bore themselves outside of the Shinjuku district. Uh, all and any travel outside of the district is cut off, uh, and the government later dubs this wall uh, that they actually build around the Shinjuku district called the Wall of Jericho. Okay. Now, to me, you don't really want to dub something the Wall of Jericho, <laughs> because what did David do when he walked around it for seven days? Came oh, right. down. It came tumbling down. And mm -hmm. how did he do that? How did he do that? He, he sang songs horns. and yeah. played instruments. Mm -hmm. Ah, pretty funny how that works, isn't it? It's like it's a theme or something. Uh, but that's the, the whole idea behind the uh, general Wall of Jericho, is that it is actually there to cut off any and all ties from Japan as a whole. Uh, mm -hmm. It's also meant, of course, to try to stop the spread of WCS. Uh, there are some that voluntarily stay inside of the wall, uh, mostly as journalists, as reporters, uh, or those that are, of course, studying what WCS is to a lot of rights. But unfortunately, by the end of the year in 2004, the good majority of them are dead. Every single instance of who was inside of the walls, they are cut off on communication. They have no more ideas what's going on inside of the wall, except for satellite surveillance. So the general transmission of WCS kind of slows as soon as uh, 
Shinjuku's overall district and problems kind of like chain and whatnot. Uh, there are a couple more cases that are viewed outside of Shinjuku, but they are uh, actually moved inside of the wall uh, so as to try to quarantine them as best as possible, effectively just sending them to their deaths. Like, as soon as you get this thing, if you are if you go berserk or you turn to salt, the Japanese government has no other means for you because the mortality rate is still 100%. There's no cure, there's no means to stop it, yet nothing. Uh, at this point, too, the uh, dragon uh, of Angelus is actually moved uh, from one place to another. Uh, it, they don't really talk about where it gets moved to or how, uh, but it's not the last time that Angelus is going to get moved, and there's a reason I'm bringing it up. Uh, a major event, however, occurs in 2007. A large black dot is viewed over where the Shinjuku is. Uh this black dot starts to kind of build up and grow in size, and eventually, in 2007 as well, the Wall of Jericho is broken down from the side. From here, we actually see berserk humans that start to basically lash out at anybody that they okay. You will also find that this bloodlust that they effectively have with this berserk nature and so on, they also seemingly have red eyes. So here is another showcase of how that uh, red-eye disease is kind of spreading over to where we are here. A fan theory that kind of leeches back to this, however, there is a leader to this group. And later on, this uh, group that pops out from this black dot that's within uh, Shinjuku is later dubbed the Legion. Uh, the thought is, is that Kain is the leader of this group. Because Kaim actually held, uh, towards the end of it all and whatnot, he actually, uh, with, with his bloodlust and so on, possibly developed red-eyed syndrome mm -hmm. uh, or red-eyed disease or brought it with him. And if he could have happened to survive or was changed in some way, then he could have possibly been the one that is now leading these berserk humans. But there's nothing that effectively confirms that. And there's uh, no way to immunize against it or to fight it. Nothing. Oh, gosh. Okay. Nothing Nothing at this point. Okay. So, effectively, you've got three means that are seen right now within Japan. You have, if you get WCS, uh, mm -hmm. uh, one, or, or even if you don't, I should say two, one, you turn to salt. Two, mm -hmm. you turn into a berserk human being. Right. Which also, by this point in time, also has the bodies of those that turn berserk with red eyes, mm -hmm. as well as having these odd uh, white forms. Like their bodies turned like to a white shroud. They're okay. they're no longer like their their human forms are shed, and that's it. There's a reason for why the change exists, but we don't get to that until much later because of how we have to find it out. The third possibility is that you are a victim of the Legion and you're killed. Done. Like, that's basically Japan at this point, uh, within Shinjuku or around Shinjuku in Tokyo. And it doesn't take long for the Legion to start to push uh, everything back and continue to push everything back. Uh, Japan starts to try to fight it off. There is eventually a uh, joint operation with Japan and uh, the U.S., which kind of pushes the Legion back into Shinjuku. It kind of holds them there. To, uh, but it requires that many uh, forces be on call almost all the time. Because any that are cut down from the Legion seemingly pop right back out of this black dot. So the problem is, are they 
being pulled from another area? Are they uh, resurrecting themselves in some right or regard? Mm -hmm. This leads to 2010. 2010 is actually one of the major pieces and breakthrough that we kind of see. It also gives a fair confirmation to how uh, Drakengard and Nier sort of hand, uh, go hand in hand. The research on Angela's body actually gives a little bit more understanding into WCS. It's also something that we hold true today, but I think the name has kind of changed, uh, called the Multiple Origin Theory. Multiple Origin Theory uh, effectively talks about how you can have uh, matter exist in another timeline and then come to a different timeline, but still uh, effectively be linked between them. Think mm -hmm. of a, a wormhole in how a wormhole connects two points in space and whatnot. That's basically what multiple origin theory kind of talks about in some rights. So this tear, this rip in time uh, yeah. that occurs from... I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, real quick. Ziona and I kind of have the same feeling on that one. Oh, it's a big old no, trust me. Oh, yeah. The oh, physics yeah. side of it is just like, uh, no. They kind of talk about a little <laughs> uh, bit more. No. Yeah. There's there's a little bit more into like how they they kind of describe it. I'm I'm being as like succinct as I possibly can be here. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, it's largely no. Like no way is this like a possibility or a thing. Uh, but there's there's reason why they kind of line it this way and kind of talk about it the way that they do. Uh, which comes down to a particle that is then started to uh, be found, which is kind of left over on uh, Angelus, mm -hmm. which they then, uh, then name Maso. Maso uh, is a basically the leftover uh, element to the Queen Beast. Okay. Uh, what we start to find is that Maso is also uh, at the heart of WCS. But with it being an otherworldly particle, it acts like most other germs or viruses, etc., because our body's not used to it. Remember what I mentioned prior uh, in Drakengard, uh, but the between the span from Drakengard 3 to 1? That seemed like it took about 90 years for it to develop in some rights or ways. That's actually seemingly why, because it had Maso from the broken down flower in Drakengard 3 had to basically germinate or change over time to infect the people that are already used to the properties of magic in Drakengard's timeline. Now you introduce an element of magic to a world that's not used to it. And it's the same thing as introducing influenza somewhere else to a population that is in no way vaccinated or understands how the virus works. It's the same basic concept. Uh, so I kind of like how they broke down Maso, at least, and why the, the differentiation in time sort of exists in that regard. Uh, but in 2011, uh, there's uh, it, it's unknown who does this or what happens, but uh, the facility that houses Angelus is attacked, uh, and just, uh, but nothing, uh, and the Angelus is taken, but it's not necessarily known as to where. Uh, so the possibility is is that it could have been the United States that wanted to take this for themselves, or it could have been the Legion, knowing that Angela's body was there, in order to make sure that we couldn't figure anything else out. Not that that stopped us. Right. Uh, from here, several other projects are kind of born. 
there are several other pieces that kind of exist throughout uh, the the overall governmental structure that kind of is born of Nier. Because as you can guess, with WCS spreading, uh, at least over Japan, uh, and then other uh, certain symptoms kind of popping up, uh, things didn't necessarily go well for Japan, and the national community as a whole started to also feel economically sort of breakdowns, changes in terms of how it would handle. Uh, so long story short here, we see these couple extra uh, very important organizations kind of crop up. Uh, one of which spawns the Gestalt project. Gestalt uh, is completely born of the German word, as Viru was uh, kind enough to kind of bring up towards the top of the show. Uh, and it starts to look into a possibility of what humanity can do, which I will get to here in a little bit because it requires basically the entirety of what happens in uh, the events of Nier as a whole. Uh, the Hamelin organization, uh, which is uh, ironically named after the story for the Pied Piper, uh, okay. starts to do research on uh, subjects in order to see what they can do to fuse Maso and humans in order to have us utilize magic. And the thought is, is that this would allow us to, of course, combat the situations that we're fighting uh, with both the Legion as well as also WCS. So if we can sort of work this in, it would kind of help. Uh, these are the two major organizations that sort of are founded from uh, how the breakdown and ex uh, everything sort of begins, but they all kind of have uh, sub-districts themselves as well. Uh, for instance, the Hamelin organization uh, starts to be in charge of uh, two overall creations one is a just full-on weapons secret weapons project if you will uh and there's a couple of uh of weapons uh prototypes that we'll talk about here a little later on but a drug is miraculously developed okay. from a uh of a part another particle a counter particle if you will which they call luciferase luciferase is uh capable of being injected into a human uh, and then is effectively able to stop the spread of WCS, at least to a point. WCS can still be ingested, or if you have a cut or something like that, it can be absorbed into your bloodstream. Uh, but Luciferase, at least airborne, seems to stop WCS. Problem is that it's limited. We don't find out until much, much later. But Luciferase cannot be synthesized because it is born from Angelus. With the loss of Angelus, we are no longer able to create Luciferase, and we are no longer able to basically uh, immunize the entire population uh, of the world if need be, which would have been, you know, a great thing to at least stop the spread. Mm -hmm. So instead, what did they do? They inject it into soldiers. And the thought is, at least, that they can have these soldiers uh, take on the Legion and kind of stop the push that... Uh, sort of occurs with them. The side effect of Luciferase is that it does give you magical powers. So it is a means for you to take on some slight magic and slight uh, workings uh, in order to ensure that you can fight WCS and then also the Legion. Uh, it is found, however, later on that younger, uh, younger individuals actually acclimate to Luciferase easier. So they start to end up bringing up uh, child soldiers. At about the ages of uh, 13 to 14 or so, they are basically uh, 
given the uh, drug, and about 16 they are then sent out in order to fight the Legion. Uh, per this point, we're at about uh, 2030, to kind of give you an idea. Uh, okay. This is basically where things start to kind of go quickly, uh, because there's not a lot of organizations that are in play that can do much, and the world economy is too worried about itself to basically bring itself together to unite against one common enemy. Uh, go figure. The world, uh, the the weapon organization creates uh, two successful weapons. One is weapon six. One is weapon seven. Neither of which are employed in battle. The Hamelin project is basically scrapped all in all. Uh, Luciferase is the only thing that actually comes of it. But after they lose everything in terms of Luciferase drug. The Hamelin organization is effectively done. There is nothing else that can be done with them. Over the next 18 years, the Gestalt program creates successfully replicant bodies. They also are able to create androids. Okay. So in as little as about 27 years, our uh, computer technology had come to the point where we can create uh, emotion feeling and emotion enacting uh, androids. Like that quickly. So regardless of what may have also happened with uh, WCS as a whole, which still at, at this point is spreading, like no holds barred, it's not slowing down. Uh, they actually figure out the means, however, to stop humankind from dying. And this actually goes back to the, uh, the whole idea of gestaltization. Gestaltization actually causes a human and its soul to split. So I'll let you wrap your head around that one for half a second. I mean, that's a common theme in uh, Asian cultures, though. That's yeah. not that. That's not that surprising that they would do that. But not to this point, because the entire idea is that by splitting them, they are able to have both effectively live, uh, while the the human soul is out and about in the world, uh, or is also in cold sleep. Okay. The human body they actually put the human body within a cold sleep spectrum they allow however the replicant to hold a bit of the soul as well as also the genetic material of the body that they host replicants can also be uh repurposed if you will or reborn over time so it's not just one copy replicants actually are the reason uh or the reason that they basically build replicants is to capture and detain maso particles. What these uh, replicants are capable of doing is actually taking them in, uh, and then the android that actually looks over the different settlements and whatnot uh, actually is able to uh, perform a ceremony, as they put it uh, within lore, uh, to actually send that maso back to the Drakengard universe. So we're still linked with Drakengard here. Like, again, there there is no way that you can uh, shun off that the the fact that both of these titles are linked. They they are sending them back to whence the the uh the queen beast came from, and that's Drakengard. Like we know that. Uh, the whole idea though that I kind of find funny is that the the replicants as a whole uh, also seem like they are there for the uh, genetic material of the human to still live. Uh, but they have to be very human in nature. Uh, and it almost seems like it's uh. Very similar to DER or disassociative exomind rejection in a way. Mm -hmm. Like they have to have these these bodies like that. 
Uh, so it sort of follows the same idea if you wanted to, if you're a Destiny fan, of course, listen to this podcast, I kind of figure you might be. Uh, that's your close connection to how it might be. Uh, throughout all of this, however, humanity still faces extinction, and only the fairly rich or those that are uh, somewhat compatible uh, to another project from Hamelin, which I'll get to here in a second, uh, are able to take advantage of the replicant project and to keep themselves alive over time. Uh, this leads to the last piece of the uh, Gestalt program, which is the Grimoire project. Mm -hmm. Blue, this actually goes back to what you were talking about very early on. Mm -hmm. The Grimoire project is actually uh, the remnants of those that are injected and uh, have Luciferase within their body. Uh, so effectively, uh, kid super soldiers. Over time, uh, they effectively try to say, well, which one of uh, this group of individuals that we have is uh, strong enough to last the rigors of time uh, and can put their powers to heavy use? This actually is where you see two major books uh, be born, though 13 are born in total. The uh, 13 books, we don't get confirmation on all of the names, but only two of them are very important. Uh, and of course, they'll kind of be obvious as to why. One is called Grimoire Vice, W-E-I-S-S. -S. The other is Grimoire Noir, black and white, basically. So, an easy reason as to why. The entire reason for the program is to try to counteract any possibility of what eventually happens. Which, again, I kind of want to leave that go for just a second. Uh, the problem with the Grimoire project is that as soon as they ran out of test subjects or people with Luciferase, they couldn't make any more. But they could make copies of all of these Grimoire. The cool thing, uh, quote-unquote, is that these copies were actually able to track down different members of humanity that may be largely uh, compatible with both the Gestalt and Grimoire system. This is actually what happens in either 2049 with uh, Nier Gestalt or 2053 with Nier Replicant, because Nier bonds with a copy of Grimoire Noir. This is actually why uh, the Gestalt program, or how the Gestalt program really gets going, because even though it's already in full swing, where they're already splitting uh, the soul and the body from each other, uh, it's leading to some very bad problems. Because most of the uh, gestalts that they're actually forming or building are going insane. They're going into what they call a relapse. Uh, from being either pulled away from the body too much, not knowing that they realistically exist or that they do exist, so on. Something isn't there as a control measure, if that makes sense. The whole problem with the gestalts then, with them going insane, with them not basically... Uh, able to uh, hold the project needs something that will hold them all together. This is where Nier and Yona enter into the picture, and effectively where the beginnings of Nier Gestalt or Replicant really begin. We don't get all of this information in the beginning of the game, however, so that's where I'm kind of covering some stuff uh, earlier on, and there's also some uh, timing differences here. Nier is the main uh, protagonist in the game. Uh, you play largely as him, and he could either be the father figure to Yona, as I mentioned before, uh, very early on in the show, uh, or he could be the brother to Yona. 
dependent again if you play Gestalt or Replicant. The other main piece about this, however, is that Yona is sick. Yona actually uh, comes down with another problem uh, that starts to kind of bear itself from the Grimoire project. And those that are not compatible with the Grimoires start to have this thing called uh, the Black Scrawl form on their bodies. The Black Scrawl actually looks very similar uh, to like most of the uh, magic language that is spoken in Drakengard. So mm-hmm. again, further links that are kind of built here. Uh, and it'll actually start to kind of build slowly over the entirety of the body until it kind of takes you over. Uh, it's a very similar situation to uh, what you actually have with uh, with WCS, but it's a different symptom because it's born of humanity. Because we're the ones that do gestalts, we're the ones that kind of go into that entire practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grimoires effectively do most of humanity by trying to find somebody that's compatible. Well, this problem or or symptom that effectively exists for Yona carries into her gestalt form, uh, her her replicants as well. Her replicants are constantly sick. They have a dry cough. Uh, they're not exactly sure why, and eventually, in any generation that is formed of Yona, she gets uh, sick, dies, etc. Uh, nothing good basically comes of having this black scrawl. Uh, the largest thing, though, is that Nier is always and constantly trying to ensure that Yona stays uh, alive. But her replicants always have this problem because her initial body was put into cold sleep with the Black Scrawl already. I know I'm kind of taking this a little slow, but that's just to show like how important the uh, a healthy human being is to the mm-hmm. Gestalt program, and to kind of show that if there is something wrong with the human, it's going to carry over for the Replicant as well as the Gestalt as a whole. So those are the main problems that you kind of have. Uh, Basically, Nier is found to be very compatible with the Grimoire Project. Uh, he is basically given an ultimatum, and there really isn't an ultimatum involved in a lot of this. Uh, the Gestalt program basically says, hey, we'll put Yona and yourself in cold sleep. Uh, we'll ensure that you guys basically are uh, basically stuck in this uh, mannerism to ensure that uh, you guys are fine, but you have to promise us something. You have to constantly give us uh, the Maso uh, collection that you have from the Replicant, uh, as well as also supply your body for genetic material to give to uh, the Gestalts as a whole. Otherwise, the Gestalts are just going to break down and continue to go berserk. None of this is known as you play through Nier, by the way. You have no idea that basically without Nier's body or Nier's uh, original mind, that if something happens to him, that all of humanity is effectively doomed. What the Grimoires are there to do is, in the instance of what happens with the Replicants, where they gain sentience, if something happens, the two books can form together in which case this allows the spirit and the body to then merge back together. And so the Gestalt project would be a success, and humanity would be able to carry on completely. As you could probably already guess from the tone of everything, that probably doesn't happen, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Basically, over the course of the next 1,200 years uh, from where uh, a 2053-2049 
Uh, all and any Maso particles are collected and sent back to the Drakengard universe. This doesn't mean that magic as a whole is necessarily taken away from us, but we've uh, pretty much worked it in more with technology than we have anything else. But now effectively faces the next large issue for humanity, which is one of our own accord, and one that unfortunately we didn't put fail-safes in for. And it's not the Legion's leader, it's not Red Eye, it's not the Legion at all, because they also are taken out of the picture. What our issue is now is the replicant, and trying to ensure that we can start to merge uh, ourselves back together and basically be humanity all over again. So, wait, you mean the machine doesn't want the ghost back? Yeah, something like that. <gasps> Deus Ex Machina says what? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never uh, saw this coming. Yeah. So, we'll go over a couple characters here. I'm going to keep this, of course, as short as I can. Again, I know I am throwing a ton at you guys, and I thank you for kind of bearing with me as much as possible. Uh, everything that we went over is basically pre-near. Uh, Green, did I lose you? A little bit, but I, I'm I'm shifting my brain as far as like going into the replicants and stuff like that from where we were with like the high fantasy into more like Stargate and right. that kind of stuff. So I'm okay. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna say because that's the if the, if there's any tonal shift, if you will, it goes from like a medieval course modern day today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now the dumb thing is you have to shift your brain back because okay. the replicants themselves. Uh, as soon as they gain sentience, uh, they they don't have the same capabilities as what we did prior, so their technology isn't quite as good. Uh, they create settlements and villages and whatnot in more rural uh, and uh, toned-down areas. There's obviously still existence and knowledge that something of the old world existed, because if mm-hmm. you go to places like... Uh, there, there's one settlement or village called Seaside, if you look out over the water, there's a broken suspension bridge. You tell me. Mm-hmm. That's one point of like how everything was. One of the main centerpieces is called the Lost Temple, and it's actually a centerpiece for uh, the Gestalt Project as a whole. It also, though kind of or vaguely looking like a uh, a temple more of like medieval ages in a way, maybe like Jerusalem in some rites. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you get inside of it, that's not the case. There are uh, obvious signs that this is more of like a advanced uh, building in how it was. But the replicants have no knowledge of that and don't know what the old world was much at all. They know that we had uh, robots and we had uh, means of like controlling robots, uh, which th- there is a machine race, if you will, that exists in the mountains in this settlement that Nier is around, and they are harvested for the parts because they're so rare to find. Uh, and people actually are good enough that they can work with weapons and whatnot to, to upgrade them using these parts from these machines. So effectively, we gave our replicants means to continue to advance uh, without knowing it. Like, that's, again, like, our, our failings as a society or our good pieces of a society, if you will, for, like, what we did with our replicants. Uh, but largely, it is, like, uh, it's very medieval. I wouldn't say it's exactly medieval, but, like, maybe uh, very early Renaissance, in a way. Okay. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a renaissance that is affected by the Black Plague. It's the best way I can kind of explain it. Okay, so the devastation, but there's still the advancement in the cultural and intellectual areas? Partially. Uh, I wouldn't say so much in the intellectual, because that actually starts to kind of go backwards as uh, people start to die and start to uh, not have quite as much going for them anymore. Like okay. it, it, It's definitely more focused on like the physical and the save, uh, staying alive. It's on the survivalist idea, for sure. Okay. So the main characters in uh, in Nier, to kind of run them down very quickly, some of which I've already kind of covered in a way, but I want to dig a little deeper into them. Uh, one is Nier. I've already smacked that character hard enough. Uh, he is a mercenary, however, for all of the uh, different villages and settlements around the area. Yona is either, again, the daughter or the sister to the main character of Nier. Uh, she tries to spend most of her time with Nier. She tries to get better. She tries to do everything that she can uh, to not be a burden to him, which is what she really does feel like she is, which couldn't be further from the truth in a lot of rights. Like he's, she's his last family. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. Uh, then there are two characters that are twins. Uh, the one is Devola. The other is Popola. Uh, Devola is one of the two archive workers, if you will, within the town. Uh, Devola, however, uh, fancies herself more for entertainment and knowledge more of song, uh, as well as also more knowledge into like what is kind of going on within the world. Uh, she has more of an active role within the community and watches things on the outside. Popola uh, is the other sister, however, and she's more the the motherly natured one in a way. Uh, there's a village uh, library, and that's basically the most part. She's the archivist. Uh, she's the one that does a lot of digging uh, back and forth for uh, both Nier and others that may come through that are looking for answers, uh, as well as also to fight the main antagonist of everything that kind of goes on, uh, as well as the Shades, as they are called throughout the game. Uh, and other monsters and things that may pop up. Uh, the next one is Emil. Uh, Emil wears a blindfold over his eyes, which the blindfold is interesting because if you even know the cover for Near Automata, that's something that actually comes back later on. Anyway, uh, the reason that Emil wears this uh, blindfold, however, is because he has this weird power. Uh, he can actually, if he if he looks at anything, uh, it could be a person, it could be a monster, it could be an animal, it could be a flower. It turns to stone. Uh, okay. It goes purely to petrification. So the Medusa effect. Yeah, yeah. And he's the only one that seems to have that capability. Uh, the next one, then, is Kaine. Uh, another one, of course, that kind of leads off, especially with the name, uh, to showcase the cane, uh, the cane the aspect, if you will. Uh, it just so happens that the Cain and Abel in this instance, because she is also infected by a shade, mm -hmm. uh, is not exactly so Cain and Abel. It's basically Cain and Cain. Mm -hmm. uh, Kaine, however, is, I guess you could say, more of the Abel aspect of everything. Uh, she's completely misunderstood in a lot of rights. Uh, she's considered a freak, uh, mostly because uh, she is actually born... Uh, a, not disfigured, but uh, she she doesn't have a gender. We'll kind of put it that way. Uh, she is uh, capable of kind of doing different things in a way, uh, thanks to being possessed, however, by this shade. 
but that didn't happen until later on in her life, uh, after the only caretaker she had, which was only known as Grandma, uh, was killed by a large shade. Uh, basically, the uh, another shade tried to move into Kaine's body. Uh, that's the best way I can kind of sum that up as like as fast as I can, because there's actually a lot that goes into that. Uh, short version is uh, she is a she's an individual that stands as a weird case because it seems like a gestalt was able to take over her body. Because I'm not going to mince words on this one. We call them they call them shades. They're mm -hmm. gestalts. Okay. Like if if what I had mentioned earlier on with like how they appear or what they are wasn't enough for you, the human race still exists, but replicants are killing them. The next one is Grimoire Vice. Uh, I kind of talked about that a little bit uh, beforehand. Uh, there's not much information about like who Vice was outside of the fact that he was a uh, somebody that worked for the Hamelin organization or was under the Hamelin organization previously that was then taken into a grimoire or into a book. Uh, the same goes with Grimoire Noir. Uh, we don't know about the overall aspects of them and so on. The last one is the Shadow Lord. Shadow Lord, uh, as, as named and so on as he is, uh, is the newest threat to the replicants after the Legion is taken out and after White Chlorination Syndrome, or WCS again, has been effectively put down. Uh, you will also see, however, that he is the owner of Grimoire Noir. As I mentioned earlier with how Nier was before, that should give you your major hint as to who the Shadow Lord is. Uh, I do want to dig into Shades a little bit more, uh, and I will keep this as brief as I can because it looks like I wrote a page on this, oh god. Uh, there is a piece uh, of a novella that is called The Little Mermaid. Uh, aptly named because later in uh, a timeline, unsure which one, Nier, Emil, Kaine, and uh, Grimoire Vice all actually come in contact with this little girl. This little girl turns out to be a shade. Okay. Shades have a couple different uh, effective measures, however. Uh, shades can either fuse together and become larger shades, which is what we actually experienced with the one that had killed uh, Kaine's grandmother. Uh, or they could just be that powerful that they can take on larger scales, uh, larger being. Uh, problem is, is that when they fuse, they actually lose more of themselves. So I like to call this Super Saiyan Syndrome, where they effectively just start to lose more and more of themselves. Uh, so keep that in mind in, in some regards. Like, that's some of the pieces that uh, the Shades kind of have. Uh, I don't want to kind of work on this too, too much, but again, just know that shades kind of come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, they can either be like small child size uh, to most of them being like double to maybe triple uh, the uh, size of a standard human being, adult, adult human being. Uh, other general mentions on shades, however, say that when they are cut into, they feel like they are raw. Uh, so even though they look like they are shadow figures in a lot of rights, when you cut into them with a sword, they bleed, they feel like meat, uh, and they also uh, basically break down uh, very quickly when they uh, are killed off. They also leave full uh, red blood on the ground. Uh, they also dissipate in a black smoke. Uh, this is something that actually goes back to the deaths of the uh, intoners, and I didn't want to bring this up uh, too much from Dragon Guard 3, 
but when the intoners die, they also dissipate into a puff of blood smoke. So again, there are some tiebacks that are going on here. Uh, the last piece about shades is that they cannot stay out in sunlight. Uh, sunlight is actually completely devastating to a shade, and smaller ones will actually hit sunlight uh, and break apart. Like, they, they don't even survive all that long. Uh, the kid-sized ones, like, as soon as they touch sunlight, boom, they're gone. They dissipate. Uh, if you look at the larger ones, however, like the one that uh, is talked about in The Little Mermaid, it's able to stay out in general sunlight and regenerate itself. So some basically have larger amounts and concentrations of magical particles. Some are uh, much more powerful uh, mentally than what previously was. Uh, these are just bits and pieces of how shades or these gestalts kind of relapse and form into something different. Because any and all of the shades that we fight are also, they're in two general brackets. They're either underneath the Shadow Lord or they've gone nuts. Because the time in which they have to reform with their replicant bodies is coming to an end. So they're running out of time here to basically make humanity still work. Uh, let's see how quick I can go through this analysis for Gestalt Replicant. Uh, there are, I already kind of talked about the Black Scroll and the Lost Temple. Uh, the Lost Temple is actually where Nier, in his early adventure, comes in contact with Grimoire Vice. Uh, it is also where uh, Yona is actually taken. Uh, so keep this in mind. Like, it almost seems like events are being dragged the way that they are or or being uh, manipulated the way that they are uh, for uh, near to find Grimoire Vice to save Yona and take her back to the village. Uh, it seems like there was a reason for this to be the case. Uh, we've already kind of talked about the reasoning for, like, why the Grimoire Project uh, came to be. Uh, to re, uh, to kind of reflect on that a little bit more, the reason that Grimoire Vice is given to Nier is because it loses, uh, or he loses, because it is a he, uh, Grimoire Vice loses the thing called the Lost Verses. Uh, the Lost Verses are what actually are needed for Grimoire Nor and Vice to come together and merge which will then allow for the replicants and uh, gestalts to join together. Uh, there is a, uh, a battle in which the Shadow Lord actually attacks the village uh, and tries to have the two books merge. It ends in failure. The Shadow Lord, however, does take Yona uh, to an unspecified location, and because of this, five years go by. Uh, in the assault on the village, uh, Kaine is actually petrified by a meal, but this is actually done in order to seal up a large uh, shade that is now, for five years, sealed inside the library's basement. Uh, by doing so, this actually causes a lot of problems for the village as a whole because they start to see more encounters with shades over that five-year period. Uh, and it's possibly thought that the shade that's in the basement is partially to blame. Emil sort of searches for a means to end his petrification in the mansion that he lives in, uh, and this actually leads to a means for him to do so. There are records that he starts to find of a weapons facility that he happens to be living on top of, and Nier actually and himself go into this weapons facility. 
in particular, they start to find out uh, two weapon catalogs that kind of existed. Uh, one for a number six and another for a number seven. Number six looks very similar to Emil, but is a female. When they get to the research papers for number seven, however, they see that it is Emil. Uh, number six, weapon number six, is actually Emil's younger sister. Uh, her name is Halua. Halua is transformed into this magical beast that is able to uh, effectively use Maso particles to the proper means, but she goes berserk. This is mostly because of the ties back to Emil as her family. She actually has a sense of uh, of general belonging in terms of like where she should be. And after she is born as uh, number six, her entire goal is to go after Emil and save him. She never necessarily does, but they do. Uh, she does eventually find out that Emil is turned into a living weapon as well, because Emil petrifies her. Over time, however, because Halawa is so strong, the petrification starts to wear down. This is also over that 1,200 or so year period, uh, so there's some time that's been taken. Uh, Halawa is also basically spiked up to a wall and left in chains. Uh, these then break. Uh, Halawa swallows Emil, uh, seemingly to protect him from anything that might be there or to possess his body. Uh, and Emil's whole idea is to actually take on the form of Halawa in order to uh, utilize the uh, magical capabilities that Halawa's body has. So confuse yourselves even more on that one, because I know the first time I heard it, I was like, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Grimoire Nier actually utilizes this in the entry called The Stone Flower and explains it further uh, with how Halawa and Emil are within this uh, weapons facility and what breaks down, ultimately. Uh, so if you guys get interested in that, there's one place you can... Long story short, uh, Emil's body actually turns to something different. Uh, Blue, you had brought up the mask that Yokotaro wears? Yes. That's Emil's head. <laughs> so, Emil's face is also what Hollowa's face looks like. Uh, imagine the Joker, without any skin, in a very spherical, uh, a very spherical face. Like, this is uh... definitely an unnatural face. No, uh, there's no bone structure. It's actually, actually, to be honest, it. it's a pretty cool mask. But yeah, it's it, it is a cool it's mask. It's creepy. It's creepy AF. Yeah. But it's creepy. Mm. Uh, the other thing about it is that it has a perpetual smile. On its <laughs> that's face. that's the creepy part. <laughs> that's the creepy part. There's also there's also no lips on the thing, so all you see is teeth the entire time. Uh, and there's just these is big it, okay. orbs for is it eyeballs. like one one of the uh like the chinese theater mask almost no uh, not that bad no not that bad okay. i would say worse yeah uh, hang blue, on I'll, if you I'll feel see like if I finding yeah, a picture okay yeah uh that i i think it's worth it that you see it only because that face starts to come up all <laughs> she's gonna all over she's gonna be so oh she's gonna me. hate this she's gonna hate this okay uh so Long story short, on that one, uh, Emil's body basically turns into a skeleton with this face on top of it, but he has the capabilities that he can use uh, magic. So that is one major big change that Emil now has. He also has the capability that he can break apart uh, the petrification that exists 
uh, on Kainai. So that is the, the base idea uh, in terms of uh, how... I'm, I'm sorry, I, I got to see... <laughs> I gotta see what Green's saying here. I'm just um, like, I'm going to make it disappear. <laughs> she just I'm started. Make it disappear. She's she's scrolling text just, is what she's doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm trying to push it off the screen as fast like, as possible. Nope. Nope. Those, <laughs> it's the eyes. I mean, the, the eyes smile is one okay. thing. It's just it's just the eyes. It's like it's a like, demented. Oh it's a demented Majora's mask, is what it is. To me, it honest. is, but it doesn't yeah. have it doesn't have a focus. It's like two Actually, blind eyes looking at you. Actually, what's hilarious about that statement is that it more looks like the moon from Majora's Mask. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. Which is also where probably I get creeped out more is (laughs) because that moon was creepy. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. Just a little bit. Anyway, so Emil's face is something that you can actually take in terms of nightmares uh, with you throughout the rest of the game, uh, as well as into near Automata and to other places as a whole. Like, that is how prevalent it is and why I'm focused excuse me, focusing on it as much as I am. Long story short, Kaine is brought back from petrification uh, and is effectively taken uh, the the four adventurers, which is near Grimoire Vice, Emil, and Kaine, uh, now all go to try to find and locate Yona. Uh, Popola gives them the uh, fair exact detail, wonder how this is the case, that the Shadow Lord's castle was actually a uh, within uh, the Lost Temple. So where the entire thing basically began uh, is where the team basically goes back uh, to visit the Shadow Lord or to try to figure out what's going on. Uh, after things are scaled, they actually come in contact with uh, some of the uh, earlier enemies that Nier had actually fought. Uh, one of which I want to highlight is a statue. Uh, there are also other enemies that will kind of come back throughout some of the other uh, prior five-year uh, instances and adventures that the four had come in contact with, uh, one being a set of wolves, uh, another will actually be a robot inside of the mountain, uh, and then lastly is probably my favorite of all of it, in blue I think this is at least the spot you should take a look at, uh, the Forest of Myth. The mm. Forest of Myth is actually something that records past deeds, uh, but can Ooh. also record the dreams of sentient beings. That's so the awesome. replicants, it really is. It's also all in text. So <gasps> this actually goes back to some of the other pieces of uh, how Nier kind of does theming. Mm-hmm. Because all through the mansion in uh, in yeah Emil's mansion, it goes into a Resident Evil t- kind of vibe. Like you know how they had the doors that would that mm-hmm. would kind of open where it would go in the cutscene? They did that. They made oh. it into that kind of horror show, which what? was awesome. That's amazing. They did they did a text-based adventure, which is basically what the Forest of Myth is. Uh and then the rest of it is kind of like different uh different scenarios from other games. Uh one is a completely puzzle-based scenario, which basically feels like a Legend of Zelda dungeon. Uh <laughs> and then the others are like straight combat. So there's all these different realms that are sort of put together, which, again, the way that Nier kind of handles these situations, and I have a point to this, they do this theming for a reason. It's like the past or our deeds and what we had done previously carry into the way that Nier's world kind of crafted itself. So even though they are gaming elements, as you and I know them as, 
They were elements that we knew of today that then shape the way that the replicants see the world, which I think is madly interesting from a philosophical angle. Now, what is also interesting about this philosophical angle, though, and this comes back to the idea of replay value, I'm stopping kind of here because we're about like uh, towards the end of how uh, near sort of goes. The uh, the main idea is that when you play back through this spot and only in the last half of the game, for the most part, there's a, there are a couple other instances that, that pop up. The statues that you uh, fight against on um, the yeah, the statues that you fight against in the Lost Temple the first time, you actually come to find out that they're gestalts. Hmm. They inhabit a completely different set of bodies from the replicant. They actually move uh, further and quicker because they're requested to do so in order to guard the Shadow Lord's temple. So that I found cool. Uh, the wolf, the wolf scenario as well. The lead pack wolf is a shade. You actually find out, or also a gestalt. But how the heck did a wolf turn into a gestalt? We find out that earlier on, he was actually uh, linked up with one of the heads of, uh, or, or one of the the being, uh, one of the main humans in charge of Gestalt. They actually put the uh, dog in cold sleep, and really? by killing by killing the shade, they effectively killed off the entire wolf population. Oh no! Yeah, because apparently by doing so. Uh, it was the same effect as humans. They, uh, as soon as like something will happen with the host gestalt, they actually did the same exact thing with a, an animal that is put in cold sleep. So now you've got environmental problems. Yeah. <laughs> now PETA is going to go after. Ah, uh, who cares about them? They're dead right. anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the... <laughs> The, the whole thing is like this philosophical idea. Because the first playthrough, you have no idea about this gestaltized uh, statue. It's not until the second one that you start to see it, because you start to learn more about the shade that inhabits uh, Kaine, called Tyran. Uh, Tyran, a.k.a. Tyrant, actually is able to speak with shades, and Kaine actually knows all about this the entire time that you're fighting them. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind as you kind of go along the rest of the story as well. Every single shade she comes in contact with that she kills, she knows already that's a human being. She says nothing about it. So there's layer one for why you don't necessarily like Kaine all as much, but you still like her because she is one of the uh, protags, and there are reasons that she kind of is the way that she is, and why she effectively hates most of humanity so there's a little bit on that end uh largely uh they find out that they need to get these sets of keys uh that are required to enter and break a barrier for the shadow lord's castle uh anybody care to take a guess where they're at no near's okay. home not i was gonna say like in a song but you know that also a little outside of the guessing realm anyway i'm gonna say partially down now but... Nah, you're good. Uh, so what is what what is effectively a, a, in a very elementary way another another set for a key? Well, how about a seal? These seals are found in. Let's rattle them off together, kids. City. The desert. Desert. <laughs> sea, Mountains. Forest. Sea. I remember this part. <laughs> yeah. 
Green's like, I got this. I got this. I can participate. I can participate in this one. Yup. So. All of these keys are found in those different locations. Uh, they also happen to be guarded by different gestalts or different uh, figures within these locations. Uh, but it's almost like they are left there for a reason. It's almost like they are left there to be found for certain implications, overall reasons, or like they were planted there in a way. Gee, I wonder where this is going. Uh, here's where things get to be funny, because it hasn't been funny already. Uh, furious over the loss of her sister, Pulpola moves to kill the four of them in one fell swoop. Oh uh, yeah, did I mention that Pulpola and Devola are actually in league with the Shadow Lord? What is actually found uh, a little bit later on is that uh, Pulpola and Devola are androids. They are largely the ones that are actually overlooking and overseeing the Gestalt program within this main settlement uh, of humanity. They effectively work with the Shadow Lord uh, to basically manipulate Nier into finding the Lost Verses and finding plenty of other things around the area. Which will and, make sense when you find out who the Shadow Lord is. Exactly. Uh, which, of course, that's their reason for trying to merge everything back together. Uh, but Devola and Popola effectively uh, utilize Nier's uh, naivete and his want to save Yona uh, as much as possible. Uh, Nier uh, effectively tries to push this off entirely. He doesn't want to kill them, he doesn't want to hurt them, nothing. Uh, Popola, however, goes absolutely insane because Devola is killed in a battle with Nier. Uh, and Popola actually calls out Nier for killing uh, Devola in cold blood, but in reality, they're both different sides of a different philosophy. The replicants want to exist because they have sentience. The gestalts want to exist because they're old humanity. The androids basically don't have any other means to exist because they were programmed by humanity to serve humanity. And so herein lies the base philosophical problem of replicants have the same rights to exist, at least in a lot of uh, regards to like how we would uh, view life as much as gestalts or human beings would have the right to do so. Because they seem to have sentience, they've borne their own system of economy, their own system of government, everything. Like, the, the, even if the androids had some idea or, or push to make them do something, the replicants still did it mostly on their own. So that is, of course, why Nier fights as hard as he does to uh, keep the replicants or keep himself and keep the people in uh, alive as he does not knowing the fact still that the shades that he cuts down are in fact human beings none of this is revealed to him until the very last moments which is when we actually get up to the shadow lord himself. shadow lord as you can probably guess from all of this being the owner of the uh grimoire noir uh being the counter to grimoire vice and being the overall seeming counter that is interested in yona and her replicant this entire time is revealed to be the original near the shadow lord is effectively able to uh, uh it was the one that manipulated all the events to have happened uh and basically turned everything on its head from the settlement for humanity as a whole and so on uh with the shadow lord basically there it's one final battle one final push to try to save yona 
because in the end, that is all that he cares about. He doesn't care about humanity as a whole. It could just be him and Yona for the final days, and he would be happy about that. The shades or gestalts that actually work with Shadow Lord are also killed in the lead up to this battle with the Shadow Lord because they're inside the castle and Nier and company are sitting there basically taking them down the entire time. What is unknown is how many of these gestalts are killed uh, and effectively how many human beings really lose their life in the entire circumstance of this settlement change and so on. Uh, nothing is really known on how many gestalts are lost and what numbers humanity would have. There is one thing that actually goes further, however, which is one of the other uh, Grimoire Near entries that does say that certain settlements willingly gave up their rights as replicants to have gestalts merge back with them. So not every piece of humanity is at a loss, but again, exact numbers are unknown. But this particular case, especially with it being the master, is so important to the Gestalt program to survive and thrive, and then to eventually be a success. Well, if you can't tell from the way that this entire tale is going, this doesn't end well, uh, at least for humanity. Nier eventually, after a good while, cuts down Grimoire Noir, which in that motion means that the Grimoire Project is done. Grimoire Vice, also after cutting down Grimoire Noir, starts to lose a lot of his abilities and powers because his other half is gone. There is nothing, like, one of his main pieces for being is now non-existent. So because of this, Grimoire Vice starts to lose even his physical form. Uh, in one final act of uh, selflessness, he pins down the Shadow Lord making it easier for Nier to deal damage to him. Because otherwise, Shadow Lord can fly around, and he has all these other, like, weird abilities that he seems like he's uh, born from magic and so on. Uh, and by Grimoire Vice holding him down and pinning him, uh, Nier is able to deliver the final blow. And by killing the Gestalt known as Nier, they have, uh, you of course see the end to the Gestalt project, and effectively, the end of humanity. So the replicants themselves are still able to exist, however, in some right shape or fashion. Uh, this leads to actually, and I will be as brief as I can be with these endings, uh, the uh, four endings that exist with Nier. Uh, good news, Green. They're not timelines, actually. They're actually progressions and how they kind of exist. They're okay. all builds up, build-ups of... Uh, how ending A may have gone. Okay. So ending A is as simple as this. Uh, ending A sees Nier kill the Shadow Lord, and Nier and Yona go back to the village. However, it seems like they are younger forms of each other, and it could be that another uh, replicant group had actually been born, which... For whatever reason, it would need to continue. At least they have replicants that effectively can be built uh, from the Gestalt project. Uh, this is unknown. We don't know if it's just like, a, a, if not like them going back to the village and being reborn or another group uh, or, or generation being born, then it's a, uh, oh good grief, what's the, it's a, it's a flashback uh, to another time, uh, to when they were able to live in peace and so on. Uh, I tend to think that it's more the latter than the former, 
only because uh, with the death of Shadow Lord and Gestalt Nier, uh, this effectively means that they wouldn't have a project to continue, uh, which I'll actually get to in, here in a little bit. Ending B goes a little bit further. Uh, ending B actually takes you, as the, the rest of the second playthrough kind of has shown, uh, into the mind of Shadow Lord. And it's to see how uh, the near, how near himself uh, actually kind of changes with time, if you will. Uh, he, he starts to feel bad about, of course, not being able to save Yona, uh, and he effectively sits in like a white room uh, until he's greeted by uh, Yona. Yona actually, and uh, Gestalt Yona and Gestalt Nier have one final moment together, and then they dissipate into white, and then they are gone. Like, that's full signification that the human race is basically done and uh, so it's again seeing that other side of everything and the, uh, what your consequences uh, of your actions as these replicants and as near uh, replicant have taken. Ending C and ending D are kind of linked off of each other. Uh, at the end of ending A or B, Kaine turns around and goes off to uh, to basically be on her own again because she doesn't want to have the shade that's infecting her body uh basically pop out at any uh it, it's going to pop out at any time and it's going to be a danger to everybody she just doesn't want to be a hassle to near or yona anymore she did her good deed and she's done uh problem is is that she starts to break down there on the spot and the black scroll starts to fully take over her body uh and she turns into uh the shade which is tyran uh tyran however gives near two possibilities to save Kaine. Uh, the first is actually at Kaine's request. Just kill her. Stab her through the heart, end her misery, that's it. That's what Kaine asks. Uh, the secondary one, however, is to actually give up Nier's uh, overall position uh, within the uh, replicant program, and that is by sacrificing himself. This is actually the ending that many feel uh, Nier leads off with, uh, or, or Nier ends with, because of another ending that is actually wrote, uh, wrote out later, which many call a happy ending, it's far from. Uh, ending D actually does see Nier give up his uh, replicant body and save Kaine. Kaine actually goes back to being a human. Not a replicant, a human. So... Her gestalt form and her replicant form merge back together, and she is effectively one of the only ones out of this settlement, out of the area that you visit in Nier, to be a success in the gestalt project, which is the irony of the whole darn thing. Uh, ending the, the problem with all of this is the Forest of Myth. So what I had mentioned before, Blue, about it being able to record mm -hmm. uh, certain events and record uh, how replicants or others could basically think and feel and so on, the Forest of Myth is the base of the Gestalt program. Oh. That is actually the reason for why it's able to house these memories and why it's able to build off different ones and new ones. It's also able to understand what is mostly going on in the old world and why it gives these cryptic visions the way that it does. Kaine uh, and the rest of the replicants that are left know of Nier, but they can't place him. Kaine especially continues to have these feelings of, like, who Nier was, like, flashes and everything. Mm -hmm. Just can't place him. Just has no idea who he is. Hmm. So what they 
basically do from here is that they go back to the Forest of Myth. And the Forest of Myth starts to talk about how it's in final phases and how it's in uh, first phase of shutdown because the Gestalt program failed. Huh. So there is no reason for it to further continue. Uh, the last thing that it does, however, is bore this uh, final replicant out of the tree itself. Uh, or the, the main uh, figure piece of the Forest of Myth, which is a very large tree. Uh, at the end of the, the uh, novella, which is called uh, The Lost World, uh, they simply look at this being and they say, yes, his name is, and that's it. Nobody can actually remember the name of Nier or anything like that. Uh, nobody can remember uh, his programming or otherwise, but the tree does. Emil does as well. I haven't talked about Emil too much, have I? Mm -mm. Real fast on that one. At the end of ending B, uh, we actually see that Emil, uh, Emil actually sacrifices self entirely uh, to an attack by Popola, which actually goes to try to take out the, the four of them. Emil basically says, no, I'm going to use my uh, magical abilities and I'm going to send you guys away. So in a shielded sphere... He sends them off to the shadow, uh, the others to the Shadow Lord. He stays behind as the sacrificial lamb, if you will. And Green, you're gonna love this. The only thing that survives of Emil <laughs> is his head. Oh, <laughs> God! His head actually goes flying. He loses his body. He loses his magic wand and everything like that. Uh, and he is able to, however, still stay alive. The major piece of Halua's body that allows him to exist is that head. That's insane. So he actually goes and tries to uh, form his body back together. So he tries to get different things like feathers and so on. Read Around the World in 80 Days because it is a funny little, uh, it, it's, it's not too long. Uh, and I don't mean the book, by the way. I mean <laughs> the entry from Grimoire Near. Because uh, it actually goes over uh, the base ideas of uh, what had gone on with Emil and how he was trying to basically get back to Kaine. Well, again, in the Forest of Myth, he shows up at like the last possible second to fight off uh, wave after wave uh, with Kaine of last failed berserk gestalts. Like this is where it is in last shutdown sequence. And like I said... Everything is a failure. Uh, and then at ending, this is where this figure pops out. Emil is the only one that seems to know that that may have been near. Kaine does not know the name. Further to this, uh, to go back to the discussion a little bit on gameplay elements, this is another game that actually has you give up your save file entirely. By the end of ending D, the only way for you to basically get 100% completion in the title uh, and to save Kaine's life is to give up your save file. Uh, because at that point, then, you no longer exist, Nier no longer exists, or your character no longer exists. Uh, and funny enough, if you actually go back and try to type in a character name that matches what you had in a previous save, it will say, this name cannot be used, it no longer exists. So you have to give up your essence, essentially, to be able to finish everything you have to give up everything in order to actually get to the end of this game which again 
philosophy and whatnot going into it really starts to bring up a bunch of different questions. Uh, but again, where does this effectively lead us? Uh, I will read this as quickly as I can here, too. Uh, last little bits that I kind of have. Because from here, uh, yeah, where does this leave humanity? As funny as it is, the ones that carry on, the replicants that merged with... Uh, and. The ones that carry on are the ones that merged with the replicants and the gestalts. The remaining humans go on to live out their last days while helping to evolve and work uh, with next-level programs to ensure their civilization could carry on. At this point, we are at the year of either 3366 AD or 3470 AD, which is the time that either gestalt or replicant ends. Over time, Kaine and Nier die fully, along with Yona and the rest of the replicants. It is said that some humans are still alive and are able to act and stay alive. What is not expressed is how many humans are left. Replicants, I should uh, mention this, do not have the means to procreate, so they are completely reliant on uh, systems and computers in order to carry on living in any way. So though they are sentient, they have no means to carry on that sentience other being. The opening of Near Automata gives us a general idea of what happens in the years to follow. In 5012 AD, a group of aliens invaded Earth. Yes, so we have fully gone to aliens now. That we is where we're at. High fantasy <laughs> to modern day to Stargate, yeah. now to actual aliens. Actual yes. aliens. Not not joking, like at all. Okay. Infesting it uh, with a group of machines. Uh, these aliens infest Earth with a group of machine life forms. Mm -hmm. Humans seem to blame the aliens for wiping out humanity as a whole, but as we know, there is some untruth to this. Part of this history, especially if you're, uh, you've been following uh, along entirely, seems completely fabricated to make the aliens seem like the utter bad guys. What is seemingly true is that the machine life forms are to blame for a part of something. In 5204 AD, androids are sent back to the ground in order to attack the machine lifeforms and the aliens. Just about 200 years after they arrived, humanity is able to start staging battles against this invading force from space-orbiting structures. Because of this, systems continued to put together different breeds of androids to construct one that may be able to eventually counter the machine lifeforms and also counter the, uh, the aliens. And this Emil is where you is get the also... different models that you see in different chapters of Automata. Yep. Okay. Absolutely right. Emil is the only one still alive after the events of Nier Gestalt or Replicant. He is able to split himself into several hundred copies of himself to hold off and fend off the alien force and start a resistance against them, allowing for humanity to put these androids together. In doing so, he loses most of his memories and most of his being, and most of his self. He is seen midway through Automata, which shows that at least one copy of him survived. Emil will not be a focus going forward, but I want to catalog one of the last surviving elements from Nier, uh, uh, Nier Gestalt into Automata. Let me tell you, if you look up the ending for Emil's story, if you don't cry, you haven't been paying attention. I think the what I'm learning here is like you're either going to cry or be incredibly depressed or grossed out by a lot of this yeah largely mm -hmm. and if you if you if you're still one that feels like humanity has hope uh after you play this game then you've got some uh, you, you you've got some thick skin we'll put it that way 
Uh, Near Automata takes place in the 14th Machine War during the year 11945 AD. Near Automata does not account for over 6,000 years of history. What is told to these androids is truth. It is what keeps them going and why they fight, since they also have a general presence to them, along with, of course, sentient. Project Yorha is built to be the group of androids that we fight alongside, but not everything is as it seems because it never is. Largely, the uh, androids themselves are, as I mentioned before, there to serve humanity. That was what they were programmed to do. But they also have the means that they can construct themselves and evolve. So, once again, we created replicants. We also created androids. One is purely machine. The other has some capability of being, in some way, like humanoid-related life, if you will. Not much is known uh, else about the alien race. Uh, not much else is seemingly shared with us a part of their physiology, uh, even where they may have come from or anything else. What is interesting are a few pieces that seem strikingly similar to what we've heard so far. So I am going to break this down as quick as I can. So the aliens machine life forms have a couple of pieces that are worth bringing up. Uh, all of them actually seem to resemble what we just got done with shades. Uh, the machine networks have like smaller ones that are about child size or maybe about half size of a normal human being. And then we also have ones that are about twice the size of a human. But then we also have ones that seem like they form themselves into different measures and ways and forms. Uh, ones that can also adorn themselves with different things. Uh, some that can grow and change their physiology altogether. Uh, some of the more interesting and intricate ones are actually ones that look like they're uh, robotic dogs in a way, but like really simplified robotic dogs because they're like, I, I'm not explaining it well. They're like huge bodies uh, with these small tiny heads that basically look like a meal without the smile uh, and then also have like reverse joint legs and they walk around and like try to to, to kill off the main character the entire time while they're uh, out in the field and so on. Uh, but machine life forms come in all shapes and sizes. They also have a network in which they are mostly controlled. Uh, this network is basically what links them together. Uh, it also allows them to share information. Uh, so in a lot of ways, they're actually learning more about humanity as a whole. They're trying to pick up on little bits and pieces and like how they're put together uh, and effectively trying to find full on weak points uh, and also build stuff which will go up against the androids because that is the largest attacking force that they or defensive force that they have to worry about uh, as a whole. There's one thing I'm going to read off here, though, that I think is uh, extraordinarily interesting. Main construction of the machine's cores are also said to be similar to plant cells. Okay. I'm going to read that again. Main construction of the machine's cores are also said to be similar to plant cells. I will say that this may be in similar design to how a plant cell has stacked membranes. Or, if it's meant to be an actual plant, then this has completely different implications altogether. One has higher reason to be curious than, and, uh, than another, especially if you recall the lead-up with Drakengard 3. The machines throughout uh, make general relations and quips of references to plants over the course of the game, however, which truly makes me wonder. I should also point out that when the uh, machines go berserk, can you guess what their eyes turn? Red. Yep. 
in addition to that, by the end of Automata, I'll, I'll at least give that there's this fortress that pops up. It breaks down extraordinarily similar to what happened with the Beast. So there are a lot of tiebacks to how this layering, uh, the, the alien forces themselves, uh, may be very much linked to the flower as a whole, or we're trying to escape it and ended up running right back into it in some way. So that's where some of that kind of comes in. And that's honestly just like a teaser. I, I, I could go further with that, like I have mentioned already. Uh, androids as a whole, we don't have to go too, too deep into. Uh, I do want to cover one piece, however, and that is Project Yorha. Uh, Yorha, the name is spelled weird, uh, kind of like Nier. Nier is spelled capital N-I-E capital R. If it's just the name, however, it is just capital N-I-E-R, but the name itself is spelled a little weird uh, for the game. It's uh, for the game. Yorha is spelled capital Y, lowercase r, capital R, capital H, lowercase a. Apparently there is no specific significance behind this. It's I was like, going to ask you if that ever got explained like, because it's nothing. like, yeah, I was looking and I'm like, what does it mean? What nothing. does it mean? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. However, Yorha loosely relates back to passing leaf, mm. which when you go actually into the way that Yorha is built and how Automata's entire presence is uh, basically here makes a ton of sense. Like, not even a little bit, a lot of sense. But again, I'm not getting into that because we're going to be here for another three hours. Uh, there are also different uh, models that exist. Androids uh, right now are broken down basically into resistance members, or they are up on orbital platforms uh, over top of uh, Earth. And most of the remnants of humanity are said to be on the moon. That is where they are basically staying. Uh, that's also where the Council of Humanity seems to be. So not a lot of humans seem to be left if they're able to survive on the moon. Emphasis on supposedly. Supposed, yeah, there's a reason I said that. <laughs> uh, Plot this twist! Actually leads... <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, this leads back to uh, Yorha's uh, projections, however, and how they kind of split into a military faction. Before this, the resistance is kind of like cells and groups and whatnot. It's typical resistance. You pick up who you can and you try to have them like work together. There are reasons behind this. Uh, Yorha, however, is built differently. It is built as a full-on military function. There are scouts, or as they are called, scanners. There are combat units. There are also assassin units that actually go against uh, other Yorha units in case they go berserk or crazy, which does happen because of red-eye disease, because it affects the androids as well. <laughs> yeah, go figure that. Uh, and then the last set is actually the ones that stay in command. Uh, they are the uh, command or operator units. Uh, and then there is only one other unit that exists uh, that is very different from the rest, and that is just aptly called the commander. Uh, the commander is the only one that looks different from the rest of them. Uh, she looks like a woman in her possibly late, uh, uh, very good-looking, if you will, 40s, uh, but she is definitely more like the motherly figure or meant to be over the other kids 
that she's monitoring. Because, don't get it twisted, the majority of the androids that we see in Yorha are young. Or at least they're visually made to look young. They're still androids, though, so they're not necessarily kids, but again, it's just visuals. Uh, most of the females are about mid to early 20s. Uh, all of them seem to kind of fit that build, it seems. Uh, the, their general presence uh, is that you will find them as either combat units or you will find them as operators. Those are their two main things, and they make up the main force of Yorha. Uh, there is... Uh, actually, I'll talk about this in a second. The other ones, however, the scanners are younger-aged uh, boys, or at least are made to look like so. Uh, probably in the age of about, like, anywhere from 13 to 15 or so, but definitely younger uh, and smaller in stature from the uh, general force of the female-looking androids that you have. Uh, what's interesting, then, about these is not only that they are broken down in the ways that they are, uh, but also how their uh, how their appearance is. Even if you've just seen the box art for Near Automata, you'll see a very interesting thing that goes over top of 2B, uh, the, the main uh, poster android for Near Automata, and that's a blindfold. So as I mentioned before, a male also used this blindfold, and it was to basically protect his sight from uh, anybody else that may see, uh, or, or anybody he, he may look at. Uh, what it seems might be the case from this is to effectively make sure that anything you see out on the field is meant for your eyes only. Like, you're not even meant to see it. And the only other ones you're able to contact or talk about are the ones that are present with you on your uh, squad at the time, uh, or the operator you are assigned, or the commander directly. No one else is to know about your general uh, inst uh, general workings when you are down on Earth. That's it. So that's the entire point of the blindfold that you'll see on uh, ground forces or combat units. The last one, however, is a little bit more interesting because it's the operators. The operators have the op uh, opposite. They have their noses and their mouths covered basically from cheeks down. Uh, their necks are also kind of covered basically down to like uh, top of chest is how far the, the cover will go. And I feel that this is also, again, symbolic so that the operator doesn't talk to anybody but who they are assigned to and the commander. So they're very specific with this classified information and like there's possibly something else that's going on here, but we don't want the androids to figure that out. This leads to uh, kind of understanding who the rest are, which are 2B, the main character that you play the first time around, 9S, which is the character you play the second time around, and the main scanner or scout that you know of. Uh, and then again, the commander, uh, the Council of Humanity, uh, and then a couple of uh, other interesting people that are worth sort of kind of going over. Uh, Pascal is one of them because it's a machine that broke off from the network. There are other machines that also have done the same. You'll find this in terms of like how they're trying to live and grow and so on. Green, where you had said like it seemed like the the near uh, settlements, if you will, were kind of like uh, possibly Renaissance area mm -hmm. that uh, or Renaissance era. That's what Pascal's basically put together. Okay. Uh, he's trying to build a uh, settlement or a village for all of uh, machines to kind of learn and grow from what humanity had, but by older means. 
he finds books, he finds uh, art, he finds other references that he then delivers to the machines that he uh, lives with, and they grow based on that. So it's a pretty interesting dichotomy for seeing how the machines are learning from us and the androids are not necessarily doing so because they're trying to cut down what uh, the machines are doing or what they're all about. It's almost like we're killing the real human. Anyway, uh, A2 is the last one, and this is actually a unit that came before, about 300 years or so uh, previously, to 2B. A2 is an attack type uh, unit. Uh, she is an older model, however. Uh, she also kind of suffers uh, from issues of either, uh, I guess it would be similar symptoms of like antisocial behavior uh, or just distrust. But she feels that Command had actually lied to the team that had sent her down originally on a Hawaii expedition uh, or a Hawaii mission. Uh, but the A series and the others are effectively there for uh, like first line runs for Yorha, and that's actually what all of them were based off of. Uh, all but A2 were wiped out in that initial run, by the way. And the last two that are worth talking about, as if I couldn't get more you know religious enough, is Adam and Eve. However, it's not quite as clear cut as we know from the. Uh, legend or from the story in the bible adam is a android looking uh machine he is actually a a full physical male he's about uh i probably put him about 35 uh as well but definitely like uh lower middle age for sure uh eve is the same thing as adam born completely of the inside of eve after adam is killed the first time uh, so to speak, Eve is still born of Adam's rib. Eve is also male. So it's not quite the same instance as what we had with the uh, intoners with zero and one and the copy of one, but it's a very similar kind of instance. The other interesting thing about Eve is that over time he develops this uh, tattoo on his body that doesn't seem like it is uh, inked onto him. It seems like he purposely grows it. But over time, the, uh, a rapid onset, an event happens, and a rapid onset uh, causes the logo or the, the symbol of the Watchers from Dragonguard to form on Eve. So now the question needs to be asked. Are the aliens that we deal with largely at fault or uh, in instance of this, uh, the, the Cult of the Watchers and everything else from Dragonguard? Or... Is it something where we had something on file from human logs and he picked up on it and liked it? That's where we don't have a lot of clear-cut information. It's just there. Mm -hmm. So that's the last kind of question that I kind of leave you with when it comes down to uh, Adam and Eve. And the final two that are very important to bring up, if uh, anybody wants to take a guess about androids. Near! No. Devila and Popola. So where both of those were killed previously in Nier, uh, apparently there are many modeled Devila and Popola. So apparently when humanity had put together androids, they only had the two models possible in design. Uh, I'm not going to go into their story at all because if you guys decide that you want to look into it, because I'm just about done here, I promise, uh, this is actually where uh, the story with uh, Devila and Popola gets very interesting. It kind of changes what we've known of them. Uh, 
but definitely I think it is worthwhile kind of digging into like where they come from. Uh, but those are your main characters within Near Automata. Uh, and I'll read off this last bit here for you guys. Automata is actually where I want to generally leave this off. I feel like the game has been out uh, for a while, yes, but it is a game that is still worth experiencing yourself. Having this general background of the series from Drakengard to Nier uh, will definitely help you to better understand certain elements of Nier Automata as you go through and to help you catch up as best as you can uh, with the different dabblings that happen in Automata. Uh, I am also still debating if I would like to do like a solo uh, extra lore for you guys or if I just want to cover it on my channel. Uh, as it is, after spending three days basically on writing this outline up, I still may do something that mimics this on my channel. Uh, but if you guys give enough outcry and would like to hear more of this story, I'll gladly cover it. That's all I mean by this. Uh, but for Automata, I really do feel like it is a story that you guys need to experience for yourself. Here comes the fun part. Automata has about 25 total endings. Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Okay. But it but it only has about five clear ones, or really three, that follow the absolute end of the game. There are three playthroughs possible. One from the side of 2B, which is the most combat-driven. One from the side of 9S, one that actually digs more into the philosophical side of everything. And then the final one plays a split time with 2B, 9S, and A2. Even though 9's playthrough is generally the same as 2B's, Trust me when I say the game is worth the play the second time through, and you won't want to put it down as soon as you're done the second time. The really cool thing about 9S is his hacking capabilities. Mm -hmm. He can even mm -hmm. hack himself. Wait, what? The fact, yeah, he can hack himself. Okay, I didn't know that part. So by being able to hack individuals, he's able to see the inside of their minds. So it gives this reason, this gameplay reason for why you're experiencing the secondary uh, thoughts and philosophy of the beings that you come in contact. So like Nier's second playthrough in Gestalt and Replicant, they give you another reason to do so with another character and a gameplay reason in mind. It's genius. It's brilliant. And I love seeing it because it gives you more reason for why you absolutely hate most of humanity at this point. Like, you, they're not even a good character anymore. They're just not. Uh, the last piece that I kind of want to leave you guys with, uh, something that I kind of said more at the top of the show, uh, Nier is a world that is absolutely amazing, in my opinion. There's no stated lore nor stated canon, but the writing team does a great job with what's given to them. I can't wait for the next in the series. Square Enix has released the Game of the Yorha edition for the game just recently. If you're a fan of a crazy tale, you owe it to yourself to finally play this game. Near Automata will go down in history as one of my top 10 titles of all time. I can already promise you. I also didn't mention, uh, well, we kind of went into the music actually a little bit mm -hmm. earlier on in the show, but uh, just to, just to reemphasize, uh, reiterate that listen to the music at least watch playthroughs if you can uh i know that there's 100 percent playthroughs out there that'll take you about 10 to 12 hours to fully watch uh there's also just cutscene uh ones that are out there for like two three hours uh so it is going to be a longer movie sitting if you decide to uh sit down and watch any of the games uh that being said i want to turn it over actually to blue to chat to anybody else uh aside from the tale of 2b 
9S, and A2, are there any questions? I don't even know where to even approach any questions at this point because it's just like I've got so <laughs> many threads that I'm trying to semi tie together, but they're they're not. They're just, they just they just won't tie together because they're different endings, and now I'm confused. But I I like the I dragons. I like the drag. Like this is something I was trying to explain to somebody in chat earlier. Right. It's like. I am really like I can see myself playing the early games, especially because it it is a world set that makes sense to me. And the further we got in the series, I was just like, this is just kind of like look going through the looking glass because you're going from something very familiar with the high fantasy into something just not right. real quick. Right. And to me, that's actually the thing that I've loved about uh, near as a whole because it takes a lot of the stuff that you're familiar with and throws them out. Uh, Yoko Taro's effective goal is to always show you something different. And for the time, Drakengard was very different, even though we had a couple games that were uh, presented in this uh, general high fantasy realm and so on, of course. But his general idea is to still give you something that's really different, uh, plus the endings that I'm describing and some of the other instances that sort of pop up. Those were almost like taboo stuff in 2000. Like, that's not something you deal with a lot of times, especially if you're going to bring a game to the West. No way. Uh, the fact that Drakengard even passed the censors is uh, kind of amazing. Now, granted, it had an M rating, but the fact that it even passed the censors to get over to the West should say plenty about how the uh, entirety of the, the, the system kind of went up. But it was... It was a very tough play as well, because uh, it's not exactly the funnest game. <laughs> Drakengard 3, I'll again say it's a it's a good title, but D1 was uh, Drakengard 1 before I confuse anybody. Yeah, I was uh, like, wait a sec. Yeah, Drakengard 1 was, uh, it's a very hard game. To, very hard game. To, Blue, anything I... No, I like it. Lost your own or, no, you like it. Okay. I like the, uh, like I said, the the summary reviews of stuff of the, especially Automata, since, you know, obviously that's the more recent one. Um, yeah. Like the the nuanced plot twists and stuff like that that they had in it are really cool. And again, I'm, I'm just, I'm a big fan of how they use the actual mechanics of, you know, gameplay to as a as a component in the storytelling. I, I still am like blown away by that concept. I think that's an ingenious concept that, Ultimately, I think I, I actually kind of hope to see more of that, to be honest, because as we get more and more involved inside, you know, different video games and stuff like that, it just to me, it just makes a lot of sense to do it that way. But that's that's a probably a different conversation to have. That's but that's, that's also that's like that's sorry. I mean, it's 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 a big component of this series, which is what I love about this series even even not having played it i can tell you that i think that's it's a groundbreaking concept and i i really i really like it yeah well and it's the uh i was talking with uh somebody else about them because of course the the last uh week and a half as i said has basically just been me uh slamming my head into these games again uh in some cases reliving a good majority of the memories all over uh for what they were put together uh, and to relive the stories again uh, forced out a lot of like emotional uh, emotional means that like I had experienced when I had first seen these instances and these storytelling mechanics. 
mm-hmm. uh, and to elicit those responses a second time, even out of subconscious. I, I don't know what that necessarily says. Right. Uh, no, I it, mean, if that right, says yeah. to like the undertone or like the mastercraft that's kind of like within the stories themselves, but it's a wide range of like where I am because as many will probably know, like I'm a very emotional person as it is. And my, my ranges went from generally like slightly happy, but mostly to like sad and angry, remorseful, uh, vengeance seeking in some cases almost too. They would, the, the swings that would offer from like how everything was, was given. And I see Ziona's kind of, uh, pointing that out as well. You have to go into these games with an honest sense to say that they are games because with how likable and how uh, connected you can get with some of these characters, uh, especially on a philosophical end, even if just that, if you if you try to break away from the fact that they are just characters and suddenly you think into the philosophy of each and every one of them, mm-hmm. then you still start thinking about like how you feel about them or how you think about their philosophy as a character. There are... There are so many ways that you can interpret these titles, and uh, as I've talked with a couple people as well, it's it's why I'm still so interested in uh, in Destiny because there are those ties that I can see for the longer the longer term. Near kind of gives me that same kind of emphasis and idea. Uh, but further to that, it also allows for so many people to come to different conclusions. And still, in a lot of ways, have them be backed up by information that's presented to and still be right. Mm-hmm. And it's interpretation based. It is the, the beauty of writing for philosophy in a lot of ways, and creating for the art and the passion of it versus what else we may see is just to create a game and tell a singular story. There is a difference in the way that you can perceive these elements you know it's like my my sister and many of my generation yours etc that grew up with harry potter uh or or in some cases also for uh now game of thrones Mm -hmm. you know these are book series that have progressed and changed and altered uh and then we end up seeing the same thing for any of the new iterations that come from it or magical beasts and how to find them with harry potter as well near has always encapsulated that and the fact that Automata, I guess, brought that back out kind of says plenty for how the season of the franchise as a whole could kind of continue. Uh, but let it completely be known. Nier is about philosophy. Uh, if nothing else, it is about a philosophical. It is yeah. not about much else in my mind. It is about philosophy and, and what goes into what is life or what isn't life or what you consider just ugh, just just so many different things that you have to start discussing which we've already looked into that i will get tangentialized again if i continue to go down this road (laughs) uh but for a a generally emotionally repressive country like japan and then to see uh certain members of that community to make something this that speaks so heavily in uh emotional drive but largely deals with the sadness of it all uh that says i think plenty to why I think that Yokotaro, uh, regardless of like some of the other shortcomings that he might have with uh, projects otherwise that he's worked on or whatever, the moments that he has shown have vastly outweighed anything else he could have done. 
And funny enough, that's basically the kind of stuff that he writes for. You know, right, who right. who ultimately or how ultimately do you uh, do you perceive what is what is good or right or otherwise? I love it. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, I'm gonna real quick. I just really want to say thanks to Beard for the um, I mm-hmm. mean immense amount of work that went into to summarizing this. Just I mean. I, I, I feel like I say this sometimes, and I think people don't take me seriously, but like this is an amazing game world uh, that really does what I think, as far as you know, people need to explore the lore of different things, as far as like actually using it to to access some parts of conversations that in reality should be you know, should should happen. I think Nier does a really good job. And I think that kind of ties into what you were just saying is like, you know, that's kind of the point of what he wrote this, wrote these things for. But I mean, really big shout out to you, Beard, for succinctly putting some of this stuff in. Because I mean, this, as convoluted as it is, you know, us talking about this right now, it's even, it's even more daunting looking at it. Um, especially for yeah. for someone who's not, you know, for me, who, you know, I'll say that, you know, for me, uh, the genre of the JRPG has always been kind of that that weird convoluted mess, um, which is just because I'm not used to that type of storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, again, I, I think you did an amazing job drumming I that agree. down to a degree to to a point where someone as dumb as me, as far as this genre goes, can understand it pretty easily. So that's cool. that's my uh, just a real, for taking the time to do that. Uh, Green, do you have anything? I mean, it's such a massive amount of storytelling to try to convey to people who may have some experience with it or may have no experience. So you're having to not only flesh out the mechanics of the world, but also the concepts that are so lovingly added in there. It's just it's an immense undertaking, Beard. And mm-hmm. you did a really good job. And i like there were times that I was just like I'm I'm not following, but I was able to pick it back up in places that it's like okay, this okay I know where you're at I know what's going on got it I can I can kind of see where it is, but I don't think what you conveyed, which is nice, would necessarily spoil anything as far as my if I were to pick up the game tomorrow and play it, and I think that is a really good balancing act that you managed to pull off with this. Yeah, well. it's uh, if you guys pick up any of the games, there's still plenty of stuff that I have uh, that I have not divulged. Like this mm-hmm. is as summary as I can. Uh, I I absolutely hate the fact that I actually had to to cut down on what I did, but with a game world that is now about twenty years old, I I have to. Like mm-hmm. there's there's no way that I can't. I guess closer to twenty, but it's about seventeen. Yeah, I I, I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Quite frankly. I have not had the chance to really gush about this series uh, and to be able to finally put some of that information to even an outline and then do this was mm-hmm. um, I on my end with shout outs to uh, Green or Blue. Did you have any other? Sorry. No, no, that's fine. I okay. Go for it. Uh, one shout out big time to uh, you guys over here for giving me the time to uh, kind of recompartmentalize myself uh, to think on more of where I wanted to be, where I needed to be. Uh, mentally, I would say I'm in a much better place than I was uh, last month. Uh, I hope that this video, uh, that the the podcast here tonight, kind of gives a, a fair show of that. 
I I feel much better. I don't know if I sound much better. So you, you sound like you have focus again, which is good. Yeah, I've been lacking that. That's for darn sure. Uh, aside from being tired, which go figure, putting in about forty eight hours worth of work in about a forty eight hour time span, but you mm-hmm. know, that'll happen. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, it just, it, it felt good to be back on here. Uh, and I thank you guys again for kind of giving me the, the time that I needed to get it all done. Of course. Uh, yeah. I will monitor myself better and take more breaks if needed, because I understand that I put a lot of pressure on myself to get a lot of work done in a small amount of time. And I, as a single human, cannot do that. Right. And I should know that especially after just compiling all of this information and going over a series of games that basically talks about that same exact freaking concept. <laughs> I promise it wasn't planned, Beard. I know. Don't worry about it. I, I it was it was just bad timing that all of a sudden like yeah. I had that that stroke, if you will. I I don't mean a stroke stroke. Like I I got hit with that mental hit this popped up and I was like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to get myself out of this. I'm just going to focus on the fact that I have this coming up. And I, I, I think having this as a target actually helped me to get better. Funny mm-hmm. enough, uh, just because it allowed me to say, okay, I have a month to work on this, but I need to focus myself first. Oh yeah. So it, it worked out. It actually helped out quite a bit. Uh, second part of my shout outs, however, goes to any and everybody uh, that has information uh, for the near universe. Uh, this includes Drakengard, obviously, because a large majority of it has to be translated. A lot of it didn't get localized. And because of that, uh, we have to rely on a lot of translation uh, pieces coming from either Grimoire Near, Lost World, and so on. Uh, most of this can actually be found up on the wikis uh, for the respective games. Uh, you can either look at Drakengard or you can look at Near. Uh, and it breaks it down actually very easily by uh, what title you're looking at and also what you're interested in. So either characters, uh, lore, uh, either uh, certain areas and events, so on. Uh, I think the wikis actually do a fair job of showcasing that, which in general for games like these, I think wikis do a pretty darn good job. And I, I remember uh, very similar actually to how... Uh, everything was basically talked about on the wikis to how I had remembered them. So that said, major shout and props to that. Uh, also, another uh, larger shout to a uh, to a. Uh, when I get the name right, give me one second. I I, I should it. Uh, her name is Valkyrie Aurora. Uh, some of you may have seen her on YouTube a little bit here and again. Uh, but she is somebody that's actually uh, gotten fairly popular at, uh, for her general analysis uh, being so uh, succinct and easy to kind of follow from uh, Drakengard to Nier, uh, where I went very detailed, obviously, and looked heavier into things and wanted to kind of like expand on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually takes her lore summary of all most of these events, puts them into a 27-minute video. So Whoa! Ex- extraordinary work on her end uh to take most of the basic concepts in name only a lot of times uh and kind of like shrink them down into one form uh but besides that she continues to cover a lot of yokotaro's works uh and cover some other games that she's just very passionate about uh so i give her mad props for what she did uh she does very good work from what i've continued to listen to uh and she she's kind of infrequent 
but again, if you guys ever see a video entitled From Drakengard to Nier, that's Valkyrie Aurora. Uh, very, very good work on her end. So the when I wanted to bring up Nier to begin with, and this will be my closing thoughts, uh, Nier, again, represents another piece in a grander human, uh, or gamer at least, puzzle. Uh, it showcases this idea that games can be more than just Fortnite. Mm -hmm. They showcase that they can be these grander spectacles of story, of thought, of making you uh, perceive even the things that you see outside of your door when you uh, stop playing them, to make you think on your own character, uh, to make you think on exactly who you are, how you act. Destiny, I feel, does this as well. And as I said at the top of the show, there are other titles that do this. Uh, but Nier is a special gem that will live with me for the absolute rest of my life. Will probably make me sit back and think about events and actions that I may take uh, and think a little bit further on how I may on how I may interact with others or how my uh, physical being or how my uh, presence, uh, how my soul, how anything uh, that I as a person will interact with another. Uh, if I have to take steps in order to make myself better or to hopefully uh, do eye-opening means towards other people, then they are not without thought. And that is something that I think games like Nier, uh, games like Drakengard uh, kind of showcase to me. To see the, the two-sided nature of everything, to see the the especially with quite frankly how things are in the world right now mm -hmm. how we are so caught up in the single-sided nature of what we do and we never ever consider the other person or if we do it's at a such small degree or at such an elementary degree when we're at something much higher in thought than so games are a fair representation uh, and again i think that near uh, that Drakengard, that Automata, that any of them kind of showcase that whole instance of how or who we are as humans and how we can carry ourselves and what we can sort of learn from uh, ourselves from other individuals. Uh, games and books and other stories, television and so on, is built for that exact nature and that exact idea. Uh, when all is said and done, it is therefore introspective. And I hope that if you've gotten nothing else from this, you kind of think on how you act as a person or want to grow and kind of learn from how Nier and what Yoko Taro has kind of put together for his perspective of the human condition. Those are my closing thoughts. Awesome. Well, you guys have a great week, and we will see you next week. Uh, when we go back to Destiny to talk about exploring the reef and kind of uncovering some, maybe some of the historical secrets there. So you guys have a great one and thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. Have a good night. Bye. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can also be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all the amazing work being featured over on thelorenetwork.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.